Today's scripture reading comes from 1 John 4, 7-12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. This is the word of the Lord. Hi, New Hope. It's great to see you all on to worship together on a, another beautiful Sunday afternoon. Um, Tim just a moment ago, moment ago mentioned that uh, we as a local body are just a part of Christ's bigger universal body that, that spans the, the globe and spans history, really. Um, so this morning, uh, Che and I both got to worship with a church over in the Fordham neighborhood in the Bronx called Fordham Community Church. Some of you know Fordham Community Church. Um, the, the pastor over there, Pastor Ramney Perez and his wife, Daji, they visited here. And several months ago, New Hope and Fordham Community Church, this very young, new church plant, um, began a partnership. And we began to... Uh, participate in the work that God is doing through them, uh, supporting them, um, partnering with them. And today was actually their very first official public uh, gathering, worship gathering. And um, they had been getting together in, in, in smaller groups. They had been getting together for a while in, in, in Ramney's uh, apartment. And, and then they secured this space in a, in a school building just right in their neighborhood, very centrally, strategically located. And, um, and they've been building up to today. Today is really the start of their public ministry to that neighborhood. And um, it was so great to be there with them. It was so great to worship with these brothers and sisters and get a glimpse of the, the, the heart that they have to serve their community. Um, Ramney is a, is a great guy, and I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that he and, and, and his wife can spend more time with us and we can get to know them, not just that couple, but get to know that church better as time goes on and we partner in kingdom work. So please be praying for Fordham Community Church, if you will. Um, the words that Lillian just read to us are a call to love. And this call to love goes out to every follower of Christ. That means that if you name the name of Jesus, if, if he is your Lord, then these words were meant to shape the way that you relate to your brothers and sisters in Christ. These words are meant to shape the way that we love one another within the family of God. And today what I want to do, though, is, is narrow down the focus, because it really, these words apply to, 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 to Christians worldwide, but we want to narrow down the focus of this passage and think about how these words apply to the most intimate of relationships, to marriage, to marriage. Today we're wrapping up a short series called The Gospel Formed Family. 
Last week we were looking at how the gospel shapes singleness. Today we're looking at how the gospel shapes marriages, or at least some of the ways that the gospel shapes marriages. And so the question we're asking is this, how do these words in John chapter 4, 7 through 12, how do they shape the way that Christian marriage looks? For those of you who are not married here, please don't, um, don't think that these words don't apply to you either, because like I said, these words are really for Christians everywhere. And, and, if and if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, and these words still apply to you, as you see, they're, they're inviting you into a love covenant relationship with God himself. And so even as I talk to married people today, I'm, I'm hoping that the, the rest of us who are maybe not married can, can, can connect the dots and see how these words apply in your life also. I'm going to read 1 John chapter 4, verse 7-12 one more time. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not know God Excuse me. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If, if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. So John is encouraging Christians towards love and he roots that call in the very nature of who God is. Most fundamentally, right there at the end of verse 8, God is love. Have you ever thought about what that means? Have you ever kind of sat with that truth for a little while? God is love. To even begin to understand that, to unravel, and it really is a, a, a profound truth, to even begin to unpack it, we need to know something vital about who God is. The Bible teaches us the mystery that God exists in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Profound mystery. One God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that, and that triune relationship is a relationship of love. So that means that when you enter into a relationship with God, you are entering into that relationship of love. When you enter into a relationship with God via, via faith in Jesus Christ, you get to experience, we get to experience the love of God that has existed eternally between Father and Son. I think that's a truth that we may often not sit with long enough. The fact that we are, if we are in Christ, trusting in Him, He is our Lord, then we are, in a very real and eternal way, experiencing, welcomed into the love that has existed between Father and Son and Holy Spirit for eternity. In fact, in fact, this is, God, Jesus says these words in, in John 17 when he's praying. He says, Father, you loved me before the foundations of the earth. You've loved me, Father, the Son says, eternally. 
And then, and then also in that same prayer, he says to the Father, he says, you loved them. That is, you loved my people, my friends, my disciples, my followers. You loved them even as you loved me. With the same love that God the Father has loved Jesus, the Son, Jesus says it's with that love, Father, that you also love these, my disciples, my people. You see, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been welcomed in to, welcomed in to know that eternal, perfect love. And by the way, this is all dependent on the fact that God is in fact three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, because a, a, a monolithic God, a, a kind of Unitarian, just monolithic God, he, he can't be love. Who would he love in eternity? He would have to create someone. He would have to create something to then express love towards that thing. But for God to be love, Essentially, in the very, at the very core of who he is, for him to be love means that he was always loving. And who was he always loving? Father loving the Son. Son loving the Father. Three persons living in perfect community together. You see, if God was not Trinity, if he was not three in one, he could be powerful and he is. He can be holy, and he is, but he cannot be love. This God is love. And that doesn't mean that he's only love. Of course, he is also powerful, and he is also holy, and he's also just, but he's always been love. So verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Wait a second, does that mean that if someone doesn't know or believe in God, that that, that person can't love anyone? That if you don't know God, you can't love anyone? Of course not. You don't need to know God necessarily in order to love and experience love towards your child, towards your spouse, towards your friends. We wouldn't question, and the Bible certainly doesn't say that people who don't know God can't love others. Humans have the capacity to love because we were all made in the image of the triune God. But you see, what John is talking about here is a particular kind of love. It's not a generic kind of love. It's not common. It's particular. It's the kind of love John is talking about that characterizes people who have been given new life by God. You see, to love with this kind of love, you must know God. Let me give you an example, an illustration. Maybe in your family, there's a family recipe that's been handed down from generation to generation. Maybe your mom or your dad passed that recipe down to you. And it's been in the family for a while, and no one else outside of the family has that recipe. Let's say my mother-in-law, passed down a recipe to my wife, a recipe for flan. I love flan. It's one of my favorite desserts. Flan is a pretty common dessert in many Latin American households. Anyone can make it, but my wife's flan is, is, is one of a kind. It, it's got the, the, the right balance between the firmness and the creaminess, and it's, it's got that, that caramelized sugar. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> oh, flan is good. 
So, so that if, you, if, if, if you're going to make a flan just like that, that kind, that particular flan, you had to know Victoria Garcia Ramirez. And you had to be born of Victoria Garcia Ramirez. It's the only way you're going to be able to make that flan. Now, some of you might say, I've had flan, it's pretty good. I don't doubt that for a second. You can enjoy flan. You can eat lots of it. You can make lots of flan. But I'm just telling you, you're not going to make this particular kind of flan. You're not going to experience that unless you're born into this family. This kind of love that John is talking about is a kind of love that can only be expressed and experienced by those who have been born of God. It's not a generic common love. And John is saying that to love with this kind of love, you must know him. It gets passed down to all of God's children. In fact, John says, if you don't love with this kind of love, you don't know God. That's, those are chilling words, right? Those are very absolute, harsh words. But I want us to think about what kind of love is this that John is talking about? What kind of love is this? What kind of love? I want to suggest to you that it is a cruciform love. Cruciform love. And by cruciform, all I mean is this. It's cross-shaped. It's just a it's just a cool way to say cross-shaped love. It's a love that's, that's formed and, and shaped by the cross of Jesus Christ. God's eternal love is revealed to us. It takes form in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in verse 9 of 1 John chapter 4. It says, in this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That little word sent is hauling a lot of meaning. The son, the second person of the Trinity was sent by the father. And what's involved in that sending? Well, well the incarnation is involved there. He took on flesh, became a human. The Son was sent to become like us, to relate to us, to dwell with us. This is humbling. In fact, Philippians 2 says that in order for the Son to become like us, he, he, he had to make himself nothing and take the form of a servant and be born in the likeness of men. It goes on to say that being found in human form, the Son humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, the Father sent the Son to die so that, John says, we might live through him, which means that without him coming and being sent, we could not live. In fact, we were dead in trespasses and sins. That's what Apostle Paul says in Ephesians. Here's the kind of love we're talking about, okay? It's a, it's a love that is willing to send. It's a love that is willing to part with, to lose what is most cherished, what is so valuable in order to meet the deepest needs of a people who are loved. This is the kind of love that is willing to lose, to part with what is most cherished, what is so valuable in order to meet the deepest needs of the people who are loved so that we might live through him. You see, this is a sacrificial love. This is a giving love. This is a love that is willing to lose in order to win the one who is loved. And God did this for his people, for people who did not love him back. 
John seems to indicate this. He says, and this is love. Not that we have loved God. The fact is we haven't done a very good job of loving him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation. Here's how Romans 5.8 puts it. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. One way to think about what sin is is that sin is, is a rejecting of God. One way to think about it is this, it's, it's to live for self, to love self above all else, to place self at the center of one's life, to worship self and the things that serve self. It's to reject God, that's what sin is, it's to reject God as God and to make yourself God over yourself. That's sin. And Romans 6.23 says that the payment deserved for that kind of sin is death. It's a, it's, a, it's a capital crime against our creator. But while we were still rejecting him, hating him, Christ died for us to be the propitiation for our sins. And what does that mean? That word propitiation, it means that, that, that it has to do with, with an, an atoning sacrifice. It means that Christ's death turned aside. It satisfied God's wrath. He was sent to make an atoning sacrifice. Propitiation has to do with the, the removal of sin and guilt through a sacrifice. So the Father sent away the beloved one, the only Son, to face condemnation, to face death, so that we might live through Him. Through him. Remember the eternal bonds of love that I was describing before that have always existed between the Father and the Son in eternity. The beloved Son, that same beloved Son who was always loved by the Father before the foundations of the earth, he hung from bleeding limbs on a cross and he shouted, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's the shape of God's love for us. It's cross shaped. It's a love that was willing to lose, to sacrifice, to have us, to do us good, and to make us his. Oh, love is such, a, it's such an abstract concept, but the cross, it, it just, it takes love, this kind of love, and, and, it, and it puts skin and bones on it, quite literally. He loved us while we were sinners. That means if if you have trusted in Christ, if he is your Lord, brother and sister, Christ didn't die so that God could love you. He died because God already loved you. It was love that compelled God to send Jesus to die for you. He sent his son. And this phrase, it, it captures the totality of Jesus' life and, and his birth and his his. his, his perfect life of obedience and his, his suffering and his death and his resurrection and his ascension, all of that is captured in this idea of being sent. But at the center is the cross. So to see God's love, you see the cross. So John is saying, what kind of love is this? It's a cruciform, cross-shaped love. We want to ask a second question. The way I've written it here is, what kind of marriage is this? 
What kind of marriage is this? And really the question I'm asking is, if, if in light of that kind of love, what kind of marriage does that kind of love create? How does that kind of love shape our marriages, stated differently? In pre-marriage counseling, my wife and I always ask um, couples, fiancés, we say, um, in, in what ways do you want your life together as husband and wife in the future? In what ways do you want your life together to, to display the gospel, to, to reflect and, and show the gospel? And we try to list the different ways. And this is after, you know, couples have done some reading and we've talked about the fact that the, the marriage exists for the purpose of displaying the gospel. It's the the core reason, among others, that it exists. And so we say, what are some of the ways that you want your marriage to display the gospel? We work through that list, and it's never an exhaustive list. Some couples come up with more, reason, more ways than others. We just had this conversation last week with a, with a couple that's about to get married next month. And really what we were discussing is what a cruciform marriage looks like what does a marriage look like when it's shaped by the love that's manifested at the cross? And like I said, it's often a long list. We're not going to go through a long list today. But here's how one author, Paul Tripp, in a, in a book that he wrote on marriage called um, What Did You Expect? He says, this is what cruciform love is. This is what cross-shaped love is. It, it, it's willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation and does not require that the person loved be deserving. I'll repeat that for you, right? This is what cross-shaped love looks like, and, and it's what we see at the cross. It, it's a willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation. That's not to say that it doesn't hope for reciprocation and desire reciprocation. It's just saying it doesn't require, it's not contingent on reciprocation. And it does not require that the person loved be deserving. It's willing self-sacrifice. That means it's going to hurt, right? Cross hurts. Understatement. It, this kind of willing sacrifice, it means expecting that pain is going to be a part of this relationship and, and going into it anyway. And, and, and that is an unnatural thing for any of us to do. To see pain, expect it, and walk towards it. Because we all hate pain. We all try to avoid pain. Most of us don't like jumping into things that are going to be difficult and, and scary unless we think it's worth it. And then we're willing. This past weekend, my family got to be at a, a, a camp, a family camp, a Young Life family camp in, in upstate New York. And as part of this weekend, I got to, um, I got to uh, climb up on a ropes course. Have any of you done a ropes course before? Yeah. I'd like to talk to you about your experience later. Um, I, got to do, I got to go on this ropes course. It's, it's, it's many, many feet up in the air. I don't know how high. I meant to ask Brian how high it is. Maybe you know. I don't know. It's high enough that if you fall, you're going to die. So it could have been 100 feet higher, and it doesn't matter because you're still going to die, right? It was very high. And, and, and so I went on this because my daughter, who I love very much, wanted to go on it, and she wanted me to go on it with her. And so we climbed up on this thing. And it was raining. It was cold. And I was not looking forward to, to getting out on this thing. 
And so after a long preparation time that was really just time that we had to just build up fear and anxiety standing online, I finally got it. It was pouring rain, and, and it, was, it was really cold. And I, I get out on this cable, and, and I, I'm standing on these little slippery wooden platforms. I'm trying to make my way. I only got about five steps out, and I realized I didn't want to be there at all. There was not one. I did not want to be. I was not enjoying it at all, at all. In fact, I was wondering how people could enjoy that. And I just wanted to get off so badly and I started to think, what's my motivation here? I have to have some kind of motivation. And I looked back and I saw my daughter standing on the platform. And I realized that's my motivation right there. Because I love her, I'm going to walk into this. I'm going to keep moving into this because I love her. If I did not love her, I would not walk out there. She was worth it. She is worth it. Cruciform love says, the pain, I'll endure it. It's worth it. The risk, the loss, I'll endure it. It's worth it. Now, now, now again, most of us would always prefer the easy way, given the option. Not Christ. That is, he did not opt for the easy way. When Peter tried to convince Jesus to go the easy way, and he said, no, don't go to the cross. I won't allow that. I don't want to see that happen. I don't want to see you die. What did Jesus say? He said, get behind me, Satan. Why? Because Jesus knew that in that instance, the easy way was Satan's way. The, the way of ease to which... Uh, Peter was trying to, to, to steer Jesus. Jesus knew that that's not the way that God has called, the Father has called me to walk. That's why Satan tried to dissuade Jesus from following through with his mission early on in his ministry, tempting him to go the easy route and to opt out of displaying God's love on the cross. But Jesus knew that the way that avoids sacrifice that avoids seeking the good of the other, even at great cost. That's Satan's way. But the, the way that, that walks into sacrifice in order to seek the good of the other, even at tremendous cost, that's the way of cruciform love. What does the easy way look like in our marriages? Those of you who are married, what does the easy way look like? Maybe it looks like a million small decisions, decisions, a million small decisions made daily to, to avoid giving up too much, to protect self, to protect one's comfort, to withhold. And how many times have we chosen the easy way? How many times have we chosen to avoid that conversation because it's going to be too hard, too awkward? How many times have we opted for the easy way of, of speaking out hurtful words because they come so naturally? How many times have you opted to, to not seek forgiveness because the easy way is to simply ignore the problem and the offense altogether? The hard ways to seek forgiveness. 
How many times have you opted for the easy way of withholding forgiveness? Because it's so hard. How many times have you opted for the easy way of, of retaliating, lashing out with, with hurtful words that are strategically designed to pierce and cut and hurt exactly where you know this person hurts most? With each small decision to go the easy way, our marriages become more and more misshapen. They become warped as our love bends in on ourselves. As we continue to seek to to serve self and love self and indulge self at the cost of the one that we love and at the cost of our marriage. I think Tripp is right when he describes cruciform love as a willing sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation. You see, this is not a business arrangement where services are, are traded. I'll seek your good if you seek mine. Contingent. Where favors are expected to be returned. And if they're not returned, then we stop serving. We stop loving. It's interesting. In the Bible, we're not directed to focus on the love of others and to respond to that. That's not where we get our idea of what love is. It's not necessarily just a response to the love that others give us. No, we're called to, to, to focus on the love of God. We, we often focus in our marriages, don't we, on the, the love or the lack of love that we're receiving from our spouse. And we respond in kind, right? This creates all kinds of trouble because the love that we're receiving from our spouse, it's, it's, it's sometimes better than at other times, right? Love wanes. It goes up and down. Sometimes the affection and the care is there and sometimes it's not. And so if we're constantly just responding to that, then our love simply goes up and down as well. And God says, no, your love for your spouse is called to be a response to my love that's deep and unchanging and eternal. We reciprocate in kind. When we receive offense, we retaliate with offense and We end up growing bitter and we we feel unloved and disrespected and and so we stop loving. Cruciform love doesn't hold out until the other is deserving. In fact, cruciform love is loving someone who may in fact not love you in return. At least love in return is not guaranteed. It's hoped for. It's desired. It should be returned. It isn't guaranteed. So how can our marriages be cross-shaped? How can our marriages be formed in the likeness of God's love? I'll give you a couple of ways. And you're probably already thinking of this. It's, 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 some of them are pretty obvious. A cross-shaped love is willing to absorb offense. Absorb offense. I'm not saying absorb abuse and just keep receiving abuse. No, but I'm saying that forgiveness, real forgiveness in a relationship always involves someone absorbing the cost, doesn't it? Someone always has to accept the cost and say, I'm not going to pay you back for what you've done. Instead, I'm going to absorb that debt myself. 
Colossians 2 says, the record of debt that stood against us, God canceled it. And how did he do it? By nailing it to the cross. What does that mean? It means that the debt that we have towards God was paid with Jesus' broken body and his spilled blood, a cross-shaped love, and a marriage. Looks like two people absorbing offense in order to forgive the other. Cross-shaped love, it, it, it keeps seeking reconciliation. That is, after all, why God sent the Son. God's purpose through Jesus was to reconcile to himself all things, making peace by the blood of his cross. A cruciform love works towards peace. Not passively, but actively. It pursues peace. It pursues the other. Cruciform love is willing to take on sin. Here's what I mean by take on sin. I don't mean that somehow one spouse can atone for the sins of the other. I don't mean that. But in a, Jesus took on our sins at the cross. And in a sense, in a marriage relationship, we're called to kind of take on each other's sins. Not to pay for them. But because the sins and the struggles of this person now have become mine. We're in this together now, aren't we? If you're in a marriage relationship that you know that the sin struggles of your spouse are very much your struggles now. At least they should be. In pre-marriage counseling, we often ask fiancés to be really honest with each other about their sin struggles. Be, be just open about it. Tell your fiancé what you really struggle with. Confess openly now so that, so that when you walk into that marriage relationship, at least you're going, you're going in with, with full disclosure. <laughs> because these struggles are going to be shared once you're in. There will always be surprises, of course, but to the degree that we can minimize those surprises, the easier it is to take on those sins. And lastly, a cruciform love, a cross-shaped love is a love that stays. See, we're, we're talking about a love here that says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Why? Because the love of God displayed at the cross, it isn't just sacrificial love. It isn't just costly love. It, it's a binding love. It, it's covenant love. Romans 8 says, For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. The love of God displayed in the cross of Jesus Christ connects us with him in a, in a, in a, in a, in a covenant relationship that is unbreakable. And so cruciform love in our marriages is called to be, is meant to be, also a binding love. Keeps us together. We stay in it. We don't, we're not looking for exit strategies. We're not, we're not constantly thinking, how do I get out of this? Or maybe I need to get out of this. Instead, we're saying, Lord, I need to stay in this. Give me grace to stay in this. In our culture, we often talk about love as something that we fall into and, 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 we, and we fall out of. God doesn't talk about love that way. Love was something that Jesus walked into intentionally and he, and he kept pressing into it. Cruciform love doesn't walk away easily. It presses in. Jesus came, John says, and to, to his own and his own didn't receive him. He was rejected. 
What does he do? He keeps pressing. He keeps pressing. Maybe some of us, some of you are tempted to walk away from your marriage because it's gotten so hard, it's gotten so bad, and I'm not trying to minimize any of that. And, and so, and so the, the thought of, of walking away from this and cutting your losses, maybe it's there in your mind. Maybe you're, talk, maybe you're at the point where you're actually talking about it and some disappointment in your marriage, conflict in your marriage, old hurts and wounds in your marriage, they don't mean the end of your marriage. In fact, the call to press in, to press in, I've asked couples in conflict to try to remember what once attracted them to each other. I remember talking about this, Ellen teaching us about this in the counseling course that I took with her. It's a useful question, isn't it? For, for an old couple that maybe there, there's so many wounds, there's so many offenses, and there, there's so much conflict that's built up over the years, for that couple to sit there and think, what was it at first that really attracted me to you? What was it that I really loved or really admired about you? What was it that made me think, man, this person is great? And hopefully the members of that, that couple can, that, hopefully that couple can come up with some answers. It's a good thing to ask. But you see, what God calls us here is not just to look at the past, the, your relationship with each other, and remember the things that, that, that you thought were great about the other. He's calling us to look further into the past. To look at his love for us. And that's foundational. Because if we're continuing to look back at the love that God showed us in Christ at the cross, then that'll keep us. That'll keep us working for our marriage. It'll keep us in it, willing to work towards forgiveness, willing to work towards reconciliation, willing to answer the question when someone asks, what attracted you to this person way back then? Keep us committed to hold our covenant vows and, and willing to develop skills that we need to and habits that we need to in order to build a healthier marriage. It might be that we look at what First John 4 says about cruciform love and, and maybe you find it a little overwhelming, maybe even crushing. You look at God's love is, is unmatchable. How, how do I love anyone like the way he is loved? me in Christ. None of our marriages, no matter how healthy you happen to be, no matter how in love you are, no matter how much you're wrapped up in the, 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 the beauty of honeymoon love, your marriage falls short of reflecting the love that God has shown us in Christ at the cross. So we might look at this call to love the way that God loved us and, and find it a crushing command. But it doesn't have to crush us. There's hope for us here. In 1 John chapter 1, John tells us what the, the purpose statement of this whole epistle, this whole book is. He says, look, I'm writing these things so that your joy may be complete. So when he's telling us about loving one another as God has loved us in Christ, he's not saying that to crush us. He's saying that so we will experience more joy. There's hope for us here, and it's in verse 12, final verse of our passage. It says there, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, 
God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. Listen, this means follower of Jesus. If, if, if Jesus is your Lord, if you see any, anything that looks like this kind of cruciform love in your life, it's only, because, it's only there because God abides in you. In love, God has not just given you this command and this example to follow, love the way I have loved you. He's actually given you his spirit. The son was sent to die. The spirit was sent to abide in you. So God's spirit abides in you. Romans 5.5 5 says, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. That means that there's, there are resources of love in us. Because the Holy Spirit has been given to us. That means that there is a capacity to love out of those resources that you have received. In fact, it's even better than that. It says here that God's, God abides in us, which means that you have the ability by the power of the Holy Spirit to love sacrificially for the good of the other without expecting reciprocation. But also says... His love is perfected in us. What does that mean? His love is perfected in us? Does it mean that God's love is imperfect and we need to make it perfect? That makes no sense. You know what this word means, to be made perfect in us? It means that God's love is, is made complete in us. It means that God's love was sent into, was given to us with a goal in mind, with an end in view, and it accomplishes that end when we begin to love one another. You see, the love that God gave us is not to end with us. It, it's given to us so that we would love others. If you're married here this afternoon, it was given to you so that you would love your wife, your husband, out of the abundance of love that he's given you. You see, God's not just calling us to imitate his love. He's calling us to participate in his love. To be a part of his love mission, whereby he sends love, he gives love to you, and the overflow of that goes to those who are near you. Not least of which is the person you've entered into a lifelong covenant relationship with. You see, marriage gives us the opportunity to realize our capacity to love. It, it, it trains us to love, doesn't it? It gives us the opportunity to, to, to get better at loving. But it's, it's, it's awkward and scary at times. And we don't like doing it. It reminds me of, of uh, in, in superhero movies, there's usually those scenes where, it's like in the Spider-Man movies and like the Shazam movie, where, where like the, the, the guy or the, the, the woman, find, they find out that they have these powers and they're just trying to figure out like what do I do with these. Like, what? I can do this? Right? And so there's always like these comical scenes where they, like Shazam, you know, the guy, whatever his name is, he jumps off the building because he thinks he can fly. He hopes he can fly. He can fly, but he jumps off and he just hits the ground. And but he's not dead. Oh, I can do this again. I can try this again. There, there's the capacity to fly. I'm still trying to work out exactly how to do this, but I'm going to keep stepping out. I'm going to keep risking. It makes, for, it makes for, you know, comic relief. But I think it also pictures something of the way that we have to work out our capacity to love within our marriages as children of God. Mistakes will be made. 
offenses will be given. You will fall short again and again and again. But it's in the very act of stepping out, seeking to show love in small ways and big ways, seeking to deny self and put the interests of this other person ahead of me. It's, sometimes it's going to hurt. Sometimes it's going to be like, Shazam falling off that building. You're gonna, it's not going to feel good, but you're going to keep doing it. You're going to keep doing it, and, it's gonna, and you're going to get better at it. More successful. As you, as you in, and step into those small ways of sacrificing self. Those small acts of forgiveness. Small, small, small movements towards reconciliation. Those words of, of affirmation and gratitude. Stepping into those difficult, awkward conversations again and again and again. All, all, as you continue to look at what Christ has done for you on the cross. Because you will not, I cannot, we cannot display to our spouse a love that we ourselves are not experiencing and enjoying and consciously aware of. We need to be abiding and resting in the love of God. Abiding in and resting in the love of God. Meditating on what he has done for us. And, but, but, that, but that's not it, right? It's not just what, what the point of 1 John chapter 4 Verses 7 through 12, he's not t- the command here is not meditate on the love of God in Christ at the cross. It's love one another. And so meditating on the love of God at the cross in Christ is a part of that, but it always needs to lead to us stepping out again and again and again towards the other, towards our spouse. Because we're resting so securely in the love that God has shown us, we can step out in love towards our spouse. If you don't know God through faith in Jesus Christ, I'm really glad that you're here to hear about God's love. This is the, this is the kind of love that God offers, that he welcomes sinners into, like, like me. <laughs> and what I want you to take away from this, if you don't know God through faith. If you haven't believed in Jesus Christ and he's not your Lord, then I don't want you to walk away from this just hearing, oh, this is a call for me to be more loving. No, this is a call for you to receive the love of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And as you've received it and you begin to rest in it and experience the joy of it, then together we can start, keep stepping out in cruciform love towards husbands and wives that we have not always loved well. I want to encourage you maybe this afternoon to talk with your spouse. What we're talking about here, this is like blueprint level stuff, right? You and your spouse need to, need to work out the details of what it looks like to walk out this kind of love in your household. So I encourage you to talk about it. Maybe ask the question, how... how How can I love you? How can I love you in a way that reflects the way that God has loved us in Christ at the cross? How can I love you that way? Or or maybe you can talk about this. This is another way out of it. You you, you can begin to thank your spouse for the ways that she or he has loved you the way that God has loved you in Christ at the cross. Start to list out those ways. 
The Spirit of God is in us. The call has been given to us. Let's seek to walk in cruciform love in our homes. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the love that you displayed in being sent. And Father, we love you for the love. We thank you for the love that you displayed in sending your son. The Apostle John calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. He was secure in your love, O oh God. We pray that we would be secure in your love. So secure in your love that we would be able to love others well. And those of us who are married here, help us to love our wives, to love our husbands because we are the one who's loved by you. Lord, you look at us and you call us beloved. Would you give us the grace to lay our lives down for our beloveds? In Jesus' name, amen.